Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is John Dorsey. How you doing, buddy boy? Don't be scared. What's better than this guy's being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Labor Day edition of the show. We are we are celebrating Labor Day by laboring, but when football is your job, it ain't that big of a deal, right? I'm happy to work. So Kyle, welcome to the show. Can't wait to talk ball with you on this day that everyone has off. Yeah, this ain't work, bro. This is life is great. You know, I was back on the road, had your son Ben Solak at my house for a couple days. We went down to Landover and saw the Terps layeth the smacketh down on the Texas Longhorns for the second straight year. Breaking news, Texas is not back. Neither is UCLA, neither is Tennessee, <laughs> neither neither wait, is Michigan. Neither is Michigan. <laughs> you know what? Shame on me. Joe, do you remember last year for NDT scouting? We did top top fifteens, right? Yeah. And all I did all year long was dog people that had Texas and Michigan ranked. And I said, you guys are crazy. These teams are not there. And fast forward 12 months, and it's like the Mr. Krabs blur meme when the shoe is on the other foot now. And 12 months later, I am the one that was – Michigan's winning 10 games. Texas is back. They might win 9, 10 games this year. They might play in the Big 12 championship game. And that's not to say that those things still might not happen. But I did want to take my lumps right here at the beginning of the show (laughs) because Texas looked like crap. Michigan looked totally lost. Uh, They gave Notre Dame the game. Uh, Shea Patterson took a 20-yard sack on third down from his own 20-something yard line. Took him out of field goal range. Uh, Michigan's safety looked like he'd never seen a ball thrown over his head before on a ball that was a double coverage target, and the receiver caught it in Notre Dame's 14 nothing first quarter. You take those two things and flip them, hey, guess what? Michigan wins that football game. So yeah. uh, Michigan not back, Texas not back. Joe, I wanted to preemptively cut you off and acknowledge that here on the show. Yeah, because that was definitely not what we were supposed to be talking about there. But Kyle got it out of the way there, and uh, you know what? Look, I, I, I feel thought, better. I'm happy for you. I, I thought yeah. about saying something to build you back up, but I'm not going to. I think we're just going to take this for what it is right now. And uh, Kyle's, are you taking an L? Will you say that? Are those words you're capable of saying? I mean, we you have to see how the season plays out. A lot, out, a lot, a lot like, of season left. It's like yeah, a lot of ball game left, but this doesn't look good right <laughs> out the gate here for for Texas and Michigan. No. No. Uh, you know what also doesn't look good? John the Gruden. Oakland Raiders return. John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders. Kyle, they, they were robbed. Somebody call the National Guard because the, the Oakland Raiders have been robbed. First of all, they gave up Khalil Mack, who's 27 years old and one of the best five defensive players in the NFL. Okay? You don't get rid of that guy. You keep him. You pay him the deal that the Bears gave him. And we are never talking about how stupid the compensation was that they got back. So here's the deal, right? The Bears get Khalil Mack, a 2020 second-round pick, and a conditional 2025th round pick. The Raiders get a 2019 first, 2020 first, 
2023rd and 2019 sixth. And man, there's so much to unpack here, Kyle, but this is the way that I look at this deal. All right, Khalil Mack is the Chicago Bears' first round pick next year. Hell of a pick, Ryan Pace. Hell of a pick. You got one of the best players in the draft. All right. Their second round, their first round pick in 2020, all they do is trade back a little bit into the second round because somehow they finessed the second round pick out of John Gruden and the Raiders. It makes no sense to me in this deal. And so to me, the real net of this trade is a slight trade back from that first to second round in 2020. And then whatever we're going to amount this, uh, this uh, six round pick and this other third round pick at. I, I, come on now. This I literally cannot believe this. And this just, you know, look, I don't think the Bears are ready to make a run this year. I've, I've actually already said that. Obviously, Khalil Mack in the fray helps with that. But the Bears, you look at this NFC and how competitive it is. And, you know, they've made some moves here. They're riding and dying with Mitch. They've got one of the best defensive players in the league. They've hit on some picks recently that's that allowed them to what I, I think allowed them to really make this deal and, and forego some of the draft capital in coming years. But the Bears... They want to be part of this conversation with the Vikings and the Eagles and the Rams, you know, and they, and they went out and done it. So credit to Ryan Pace, John Gruden. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So when I look at this trade and, and Ryan Pace was just quoted as saying this as of yesterday afternoon, Joe, he says, when we look at this next draft, our first round pick is Khalil Mack. Our second round pick is Anthony Miller. We'll take that. It's a great outlook. Yeah. It's a great way to look at the usage of draft capital. The Bears gave up that 2019 second to jump up and get Anthony Miller in the second round. And obviously the the first round flip with the second or 2020 trade back from a team that will probably be picking in the late teens, early 20s in Chicago versus a team that will be picking probably in the mid 30s, the Oakland Raiders in 2020, if this thing plays out the way we think it does. So you're exactly right. 2020 is a trade back of 15 spots. And then you traded a player two years ago as all defense or all pro defensive player and defensive player of the year for a first round pick. And you give him a high market extension that give it three years. And Khalil Mack will be like the fifth or sixth highest played defender in football. And that contract will look absolutely fine. One player that I feel like is overlooked in this conversation going along the lines of what you said is James Daniels. He's a player that I had a first-round grade on, and I feel very comfortable with him being another one of those guys that they got value for that's going to fill a critical role and, and give them a high-impact blocker and already in the fray, already part of that young nucleus. So, man, the, the AFC North, like the Vikings, super good, right? Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, but, man, the Bears have really positioned themselves well. You know, Eddie Jackson, obviously a player you love, is a player they really hit on late in the draft uh couple years ago and so it's man uh, i wish i was a bears fan because i would this is it's exciting time it is i can't even come up with the right word i'm like my i still i mean it's been like i've slept on this twice now kyle and i still can't get over it well and it's it as ben solak talked about in the car we did an instagram live on the draft network's instagram page the draft network go ahead and follow uh he talked about on the instagram live the perspective here, if you look at what Ryan Pace is doing, where his first year in Chicago, take it for what it is, evaluation year, whatever. Ryan Pace trades up for Mitch Trubisky. 
pays a pretty penny for it. Now he's trading for Khalil Mack. He's had some very, very good draft picks. He is rider dying his way. And if you think about the life cycle of an NFL team, whether you like it or not, unless you're the New England Patriots and you have a Hall of Fame coach and a Hall of Fame quarterback, which then gets you into a different span, the life cycle, you've got five or six years to win a championship. The Bears are entering the preliminary stages of their newest life cycle, trying to go out and win. They've got a quarterback under a rookie contract. Surround him with as much talent as you can. Load up. Go get it. Five or six years from now, you're going to have to reassess who are your players that you can still get another long-term contract out of. You invest in those guys. You cut the weight. You start all over again. One other uh, punch to the face, punch to the chin, if you will, that I think the Raiders took yesterday is this quarterback situation. Now, they had had this room since John Gruden got there of Connor Cook, EJ Manuel, Derek Carr. And Gruden's been quite vocal about how uncomfortable he was with Manuel and Cook. And they, they wind up cutting them both and then giving up a fifth-round pick for A.J. McCarron. How the Bills somehow got something for A.J. McCarron is quite remarkable to me. But then the fact that Gruden's been uncomfortable with this quarterback room for so long, so much so that the two guys that have been in the building for however many months, since the winter, they cut them to bring in A.J. McCarron, who there's no familiarity there. They're one snap away from A.J. McCarron going into the game. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know about Gruden. I don't know about his plan for this team. He seems like he's very egotistical. He wants it to be his blueprint and his hands, his fingerprints on this roster. And my goodness, the returns right now are pretty poor. And I certainly don't trust him to invest this draft capital wisely uh, and, and to, to build this thing up. I don't know. Uh, not great. How, not great. How are you going to talk about Raiders taking punches to the chin and not talk about the team in April trading a third round <laughs> pick for Martavis Bryant and then cutting him yesterday? You're one of ten. That's unheard of. Unbelievable. It's, it's just straight up wasteful usage of resources. It's not great. No. But you know what was a great use of resources, Joe? Get us there. Kevin. Our time watching college football on Saturday. Yes, sir. You were at Bank of America. I was at FedEx Field. We were at a couple NFL stadiums watching college teams get it on starting week one. And you got a chance to see West Virginia and Tennessee. Let's go Mountaineers. Thrill Greer. Five tutties. Tell me about your experience. Yeah. So my first time seeing Will Greer in person. And um, I, he didn't disappoint, right? Like you said, 429 yards passing, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Going against an SEC defense. Now it's the Tennessee Volunteers who are in year one under Jeremy Pruitt. And let's be honest, he does not have the personnel to replicate Alabama's defense right now. Okay, that doesn't mean he's not trying to run it, but uh, the, the players aren't there yet, and that'll come. But uh, Will Greer certainly diced them up, man. And uh, I came away with two major takeaways from Will Greer. Uh, well, I guess more than that, but the two in terms of his best attributes are number one, I think his ability to hit throws with touch to all levels of the field. Throws a very catchable football, and uh, he does a really good job of leading his targets into space. Now, there's a lot of space for him to work with, but he was hitting dudes in stride. And that's why he averaged nearly 13 yards per attempt is because he was not only hitting throws with accuracy down the field, but he was hitting targets in stride, allowed them to create. Now, I know that the scheme creates a lot of this space for him, 
But to his credit, he really does a good job of taking advantage. Now, Greer's not going to wow you with, I don't think, with his physical traits. Now, I don't think he's super great statured. He's like 6'2", 215. That's what he's listed at. Uh, he doesn't have a rocket arm. He's He moves, but he's not overly athletic. You know, kind of like Baker Mayfield in that regard. And so put up a piece kind of recapping some of my thoughts on the draft network on Sunday. And the, the question that I posed, and Kyle, you, you're probably, you might stop talking to me after I say this. But the question that I posed is, look, what we need to figure out with Greer is there's some parallels to Baker Mayfield, but then there's also some parallels to Colt McCoy. So what are his what's his real NFL valuation? The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think he's going to get a, get an opportunity to play at the next level. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be drafted and given the keys to the franchise or anything like that. But uh, he's a certainly an interesting player that has some traits that you like. I'm just not sure that, you know, like it, it, figuring out how he fits at the next level and what the best opportunity for him is and tapping into his strengths and building an offense around that's going to be something I think is going to be a lot, very interesting. Like I'm not necessarily ready to declare that in any direction, but for uh, for week one, man, the dude showed out and uh, you know he's going to feast on these big 12 defenses that can't cover. He plays NC State and Youngstown State as his other two non-conference games the rest of the way. You know, NC State, not particularly good secondary, and Youngstown State's a team he should shred. So the numbers are going to be there. Now, determining that valuation is going to be a really fun discussion over the next six months. No, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, one of the reasons why I love Will is because he's a fun player. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily because I think his projection is a clean one. Because I think suggesting that it would be is is kind of failing to take into consideration quite a few things. Um, you know, he does have a little bit of an unorthodox throwing delivery. He doesn't have prototypical size. He's running this uh, spread offense and with Dana Holgerson. And a lot of times the quick, easy reads are, are there and in space. But he flashes with his arm. And, and as you said, you know, an opportunity is going to be there for Will Greer. The question is, how soon is somebody going to fall in love with him and where would they go get him at? Yeah. So prominent storyline to watch throughout the course of the season. I was at Landover, Maryland, watching uh, Maryland, Texas. And I'll tell you what, Maryland looked good. And I I came into this game with the expectation that Texas was going to look great. Uh, They continued to do themselves a disservice by starting Sam Ellinger at quarterback. Uh, Sam Ellinger is a glorified fullback, missed a lot of simple throws, uh, their last possession. This is two. I'm two for two, Joe, going to FedEx Field and watching games that came down to the last possession with the losing team driving for a chance to score a touchdown and win the football game. Last year was West Virginia, Virginia Tech. This year, Texas, Maryland. The next to last play offensively for Texas, Ellinger had a wide, wide open receiver streaking to the end zone, missed him. Didn't even didn't even look his way. So it was frustrating because I came into this game looking forward to watching uh, little Jordan Humphrey, Colin Johnson. These are both really big wide receivers for Texas. Johnson 6'6", Humphrey 6'4". Never really got it off the ground. Uh, offensively, it was kind of a, a scrap for most of the game. I would love to see Texas give Shane Buscelli a chance again at quarterback. Really liked what we saw from him at the beginning of last year. But anyway, I digress. When I watched this game, there was a five-star recruit. Joe, what if I told you there was a five-star recruit on Maryland's defense that made it impossible to ignore him 
That's what throughout I, the course that's of what I like to hear. Game. So his name is Byron Cowart. Byron Cowart is a five-star recruit who originally played at Auburn. He was at Auburn for two years and three games, played in 26 games, managed 15 tackles. Uh, really, he's he had personally said the wheels fell off the bus when Muschamp left Auburn to go coach South Carolina. He played three games last year, left for JUCO, played at Jacksonville State, transferred to, to Maryland as a former five-star recruit, and you can see why. He was a five-star recruit. He's he's kind of built like Rayshon Gary. He's got that same athleticism to his build. He's nowhere near as explosive as Rayshon Gary, but um, I really liked what this guy could do. He came inside several times on left tackle Calvin Anderson and just gave him fits. Uh, he used a nice arm over move. He had some polish, flashed really, really strong. He was in uh, Ellinger's lap several times throughout the course of the game, was a consistent thorn in his side with protection. Played on both sides of the line of scrimmage, the left and the right side, and was able to get consistent pressure uh, in both instances. So Byron Cowart, kind of non-traditional pathway to being a senior at the college level and playing in a Power 5 program, and here he is. And you know, this was not a guy who was on my radar at all. He's kind of buried at Auburn. Had some personal issues he was dealing with. Then, lo and behold, he shows up here and was one of the keys to the game that allowed Maryland to pull off this win with his pressure as a pass rusher. So that's a name that I've certainly got a star next to that I want to revisit. I'll be back at Maryland again later in the year to see them play Michigan State and Brian Lewerke. Kyle, one other player that I want to mention real quick here is Alabama safety Deontay Thompson. Uh, hat tip to Trevor Sikama because we had been kind of scouring through the names for the safety position over the summer, trying to find you know the prospects. That's what we do at the Draft Network. Uh, and, and Trevor found Thompson, and then everyone got to Thompson's film, and, Lord, he is a good football player. And he showed out against Louisville, five tackles, one and a half for uh, loss, three pass breakups. But anybody that watched that game for as long as it was, you know, a game, which wasn't long, Deontay Thompson really showcased the stuff that made us excited about him. Uh, a lot of range. Uh, so you love that. A guy that can really be that center fielder and go sideline to sideline, but he takes such clean angles to the football. Um, yeah, he's not Malik Hooker, right? Like that's the, that's the center fielder of center fielders in terms of range, ball skills, taking great angles. But like, He's close. Like I think he's got that type of ability, not not at that level, but close. And then he's really or he definitely has Malik Hooker's number is coming forward and playing forward, being willing to tackle and work through contact and make, you know, make plays near the line of scrimmage and that's something we saw as well in that game. So, uh, if you're looking for the premier safety in this class, right now it's Thompson. I don't think it's particularly close and he's got a season off to a great great start and and you know, look, he's just going to be the next great Bama safety. They've had a, a been a pipeline there with Landon Collins and Haha Clinton Dix and Minka Fitzpatrick and now it's Deontay Thompson who I think is is all has all the traits you look for in a, in a first round safety. Wow, I am stunned. Alabama has a good defensive back <laughs> on their roster. Breaking water that is also wet. Happens. Jeez, Louise. Uh, my other standout that I did want to talk about was Michigan defensive end uh, Chase Winovich. Wanted to give Winovich some love because. Uh, he was a player who had considered coming out last year, came back to Michigan 
they had some unfinished business. That's not off to a great start. But Winovich himself uh, really has an opportunity here to kind of reshape his expectations as a pro prospect. I watched Winovich as part of my Big Ten studies throughout the course of the summer. I was really under the impression that he had high motor, high hustle, a lot of grit. Uh, football intelligence was there. He was a smart football player. But he didn't have a trump card. He didn't have length. He didn't have explosive first step. He wasn't quick in short areas. He didn't have powerful hands. So that raises some apprehension. You know, you start to ask the question, okay, what's your ceiling going to be if you don't have something to take with you to the NFL? And then I turned on this game against Notre Dame, and I watched him put the Notre Dame right tackle on his ass <laughs> with his first punch. Yep. And I said, oh, my goodness. You know, Chase has been in the weight room this summer. Uh, thought his hands were much more urgent as far as transitioning off of punches from offensive linemen and keeping his chest clean. And, you know, he's still not a great bender. He's still not particularly sudden in short spaces. So if you get him isolated on the edge, you've got an athlete with as the ball carries, he's probably not going to win a ton of those reps. But dude plays his butt off. He can chase stuff down from the backside just because the motor runs hot. And we finally saw some translatable traits at the point of attack and as a pass rusher that has me really intrigued to see, can he parlay this into a full season on his resume? Because if he does, he is significantly going to help his pro projection. And this was something I talked about on Sunday over the Draft Network. But the next big hurdle for Winovich is October 13th. They head to Wisconsin and they play David Edwards. And if Winovich happens to put Edwards on his butt, now he's really going to have people's attention. Now, Michigan does not have a lot of challenging offensive lines between then and now. They play SMU, Western Michigan, Nebraska, Maryland. Okay, so, I mean, don't take anything that happens from here on out as a grain of salt. And also, I would urge people, don't overreact yeah. to such a strong game from Winovich. But if you see repeat performances, uh, th this is a player that in his final season, after having flirted with coming back to the NFL, is going to have done himself a lot of good because he's going to have reset the bar and the expectations of what he can be as a football player. Yeah, he was fun, man. Uh, best motor I've seen in a long time. He's, he's an animal, so uh, anxious to see. Because a lot of people, David Bowen, he, he, he shouted him out over the summer, and you know, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time on his tape, but uh, you know, certainly encouraging first game from Winovich. Yes, sir. Certainly encouraging start to the week here on the Draft Dudes, Joe. This was fun. It was light. It was brisk. Football is back. Bless them. Happy to report. And uh, we have some more football tonight with Florida State and Virginia Tech, so I'm sure that'll give us something to talk about tomorrow. We'd like to thank you guys for tuning into the show. If this is your first time, first time in a long time, make sure you come back again soon. Hit that subscribe button and follow along with us. Also, highly encourage you guys to check out thedraftnetwork.com. We did some awesome coverage in week one. We've done awesome coverage all summer, really getting you back up into speed and the mentality of watching players with the mindset of the NFL draft specifically. And that's kind of where we like to make our hay. You know, asking those hard questions, making those player observations. And I'd like to encourage you guys to swing on over and do that with us over at thedraftnetwork.com. I am Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape, signing off with Joe Marino, Joe Marino at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast. We'll catch up with you guys again tomorrow.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.